We're going to be in God's Word today. Uh, so if you want to pray with me, we're going to start. Father, we thank you that although the world may be in turmoil, although there may be chaos around us, you are a God of order and you bring peace where there is darkness and where there is worry and anxiety. Lord, we just pray that you would guide our reading of your word today, that we would unpack the things that you would have for us as we delve into the glorious message of the gospel. So Lord, please equip us, lead us, guide us in Jesus name. Amen. Well, the Reformation, it was a movement dedicated to reforming at the time the Roman Catholic Church. When Martin Luther began the Reformation by nailing his 95 theses to a cathedral door, he wasn't intending to create a series of new churches. Rather, he was trying to reform the church that existed at the time. And so the the Reformation was really about capturing this message of the gospel, the things we've been reading in Ephesians. They didn't just come to us easily. They were won by these uh, men and women who delved deep into the scriptures and who uh, showed us from them uh, the real truths of the gospel. And so through the Reformation, they had these five central points, five central points, um, and they were called the five solas. It comes from uh, a Latin word, sola, and it's where we get the English word solo from. You know, if someone is uh, going, you know, they're in a band or something. They want to go solo. They start their, uh, they start their own thing. They're going by themselves. It means alone. So when you hear the word solo, you're thinking of the word, you should be thinking of the word alone. And there are five of them. There are five. And the first one is sola scriptura. By scripture alone. And that means that we, the truths we find about God, we find them in the scriptures. It's scripture alone where we find it. It's not by tradition. It's not by the opinions of men. It's by the scripture. Another one we find is sola fide. And that means by faith alone. You are saved. Your salvation comes only by faith. You can't contribute anything to it. The next one is sola gratia. And that means by grace alone. Uh, pretty self-explanatory. It's only by God's undeserved unmerited favor that this comes to us, this salvation comes to us. It's not because there was anything within us uh, that deserves God acting on our behalf in this way. It's only because of his love for us. The next one is solus Christus, which means uh, through Christ alone. And that means that it's only through Christ that we can be saved. There is no other means of salvation. There is no other name named in he- uh, under heaven by which we can be saved. There's no name given to men's uh, other than the name of Christ. And the last one is Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. And all four of those, uh, the, the last four that I just read, we see in this passage in Ephesians 2. All of those, uh, all of those, uh, of the five solas, you can imply that solus uh, scriptura, um, sola scriptura, sorry, by scripture alone is uh, is in this passage as well, because you need to believe that in order to believe the passage that we're reading. And so these five solas, the, the kind of the bedrock, the foundation of the Reformation movement is something that we still need to know about today, because that is where we find our hope and our trust. It's in Christ, it's in the scriptures, and it's those things alone. It's nothing being added to it. And this is why Paul says, he says that it's by grace you have been saved 
through faith. And we must be careful to note that we can't add anything to this. It is grace alone and faith alone. There is no extra good works we can add because Paul clearly says in this passage that was just read for us that it was not a result of works so that no one may boast. It's by faith alone, grace alone. Why? Well, there's nothing we can contribute to our salvation. There's nothing that we can add because we were dead. Remember from the last couple of weeks, we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our sins. And I don't know if you've seen a dead body. I have had the unfortunate privilege of seeing a dead body. It was my great-grandfather's body. And I remember I must have been about eight years old or something. And I remember reaching out and touching his hands and his hands were deathly cold. And it was just a frightening experience. Um, it was one of those open casket things. And look, no matter what I could do to my granddad's body, uh, luckily I didn't do anything else, but I don't, it doesn't matter what I would decide to do. If I could shock it with electricity like Dr. Frankenstein did in the novel Frankenstein, or if I, you know, poured a bunch of cold water on it, slapped it in the face with a fish or something, no matter what I could do to that body, it would have no effect because dead people do not respond to any stimulus. They are dead. And that is, that is the key thing. They are unable to respond. There is nothing there. It's just, uh, it's just an object now. The, whatever makes a human being a human being has departed from that body. And it's in this same way that we need to understand our spiritual state before God. The word dead is packed with meaning because it is truthfully describes who we are. We are dead in our sins. We are unable to respond to any stimulus, any spiritual stimulus that's put on us. I mean, how can a dead person come back to life? It's going to take a miracle. It's going to take a miracle. And that's why Paul stresses it's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. So what is the gift of God here? It is the grace, the salvation, or the faith. Did you catch that in the passage? It, it talks about how, um, you know, is it, the, is it the grace that we're given that's the gift of God? Is it the salvation that comes to us that's the gift of God? Or is it the faith that we are given that is a gift of God. Wait, what do I mean? What do I mean by faith that has been given? Now, the word this in Greek, this is a gift of God. That first word this is about as ambiguous in Greek as it is in English. It's hard to see what it's actually referring to. And a lot of people might say, oh, look, it's referring to the, to the grace. The grace is the gift that God gives. Or some people may say, no, it's the salvation. The fact that we're saved, that's the gift of God. Or some people may say that it's the faith. I think, personally, it's all of them. All three of those things are a gift of God. You might say, hey, hold up a minute, wait up a minute, what is going on there? My faith is my own. I believed in God. I put my trust in God. That was something that I did. I know that I didn't contribute to my salvation, but that faith that I had in trusting in Jesus was something that came from me. But is it? Is that faith something that could come from you? Can a dead person have faith? Can a dead person have faith? The fact that we believed in Jesus itself is an act of grace. Because dead people are dead people. And dead people believe nothing. 
they can't believe anything. You might say, hang on a minute, I don't see that from the passage, but let's quickly go Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 29. Uh, I'm going to put the words up underneath for you guys. It says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Did you catch that? It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. That belief that we have in Jesus was granted to you. And it's been granted to you that you should believe in him. You see, the gift of salvation is completely, every aspect of it, totally a gift given to you. You were dead. You couldn't believe. You were unable and unwilling to come to God. Both of those things were stacked against you. Even if you were willing, you'd be unable. And even if you were able, you'd be unwilling. Both of those things, we are dead. We cannot save ourselves. But God acts in salvation. Notice what Jesus says in John 6, verses 37 and 39. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Notice that it's all that the Father gives to him that will come to him. Only those that have already been given will come. Only those that have been given will come. It's a gift of God, pure and simple. Complete and utter gift of God. John 6.65 says this. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Only those who has it, it has been granted to can come to Jesus. Because we wouldn't come unless God did something. We are totally dead, unable to come to Jesus. We need God to take the initiative on our behalf. And how great is it then that God has done that in our lives? It says here that no one can boast. Now, um, I've, I've been into like boxing videos recently. I'm just watching a bunch of boxing videos. Um, and I love how at the start they all talk about, you know, oh, I'm going to knock this guy out. Like I'm all, I'm bigger and badder and tougher than this guy. This guy's nothing to me. And, you know, I'm in the gym training all this and they show montages of them training. And it's all about how tough these guys are. And, and they're boasting in themselves. They're boasting in their strength. They're boasting in uh, how much they're going to whoop the other guy. You can see it like even in, in sports, you see that they're all, you know, chuffed about themselves and how good they are and how they're going to go out and they're going to destroy the opposition. They're boasting in their own strength. And that is kind of the image that Paul is conjuring here. You cannot boast in your salvation. If everything that I've said over the last couple of weeks is true, what point can we boast? What post, What point can we do anything to say, yeah, I contributed to that? We were dead. There was no contribution that we could make. If we were in some sort of big fight for our salvation, we wouldn't even be in it. We wouldn't even be in the fight. We wouldn't even be able to even have a chance of winning. And so religious people, we might not be like that boxing person who, you know, is so overt in their boasting and it's part of selling the tickets and it's, you know, just a big kind of show. It's like wrestling, but in real life, religious people may boast, but they boast in more subtle ways. 
It's harder to see. It's harder to pinpoint. But we do. You know, we think, oh man, we're better. We're just better than other people. We do things right. We follow God. You know, we're, we're pretty good. Like we, you know, we wouldn't do all the things the world does. You know, of course God loves us. Of course God cares about us. Of course he would save us because we're pretty awesome. We're pretty great. We, you know, we might make these couple of mistakes here and there, but we're, we're good people. And you can easily see a boastful person. You can see them out in the world. They're just overt. But what about the boasting in our own hearts? Do we see it? Because it's there. We forget that we were dead just like everyone else. That's why Paul says, remember when you were a Gentiles, when you were living in the course of this world, remember that because you were just like them. And maybe you were raised in a Christian home and you're like, yeah, but I didn't have that experience of being out in the world where everyone else is living this way. But remember this, remember this, you would have been there if not for God's grace in placing you where you were growing up. You would have been in that exact same place. There is no fundamental difference between you and them apart from God's grace in your life. It's a pretty common view that people, you know, they think they think they're pretty good. I think they're pretty good. And all you got to do is ask them a question. Why should God let you in to his kingdom and, and see their response? How are they going to respond to that question? Why should God let you into his kingdom? They'll respond, you know, I'm pretty good. You know, I might mess up here and there. I do these things. I do that thing. You know, I once worked at a soup kitchen or I once went and did these nice things. I'm pretty generally a nice person. I'm pretty generous. You know, people come up with all these excuses for why God should let them into the kingdom. But God says, no, I should let none of you into my kingdom because you are all dead. You are all following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. You are just like the rest of the world, objects of wrath, children of wrath. But it's my grace that pulls you out of that if you believe in Jesus and gives you a different story. And so you have that pretty common view Jonathan Edwards says this, he says, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And that is a good quote from Jonathan Edwards. We are not our own creation. We did not create ourselves. We did not even create who we are. Certain decisions and things that we did during our life. Yes, that may have contributed somewhat to who we are, but a lot of those events and a lot of the things that have happened in our lives have happened externally from us and by the hand of God. So even who we are is not necessarily something that we can take uh, claim to and we can boast in. We, are, we have literally nothing to boast in. You may think, man, what have I got left to feel good about myself? You've got the salvation that God has given you. You've got the way that God sees you, the new identity you have now. Press into those things. Don't press into yourself. Because if you press into looking at yourself and thinking, boy, I'm a good person. I'm killing it here, I'm doing these things, you're going to end up with pride and arrogance, you're going to fall into the same trap that the devil fell into. We're a creation of God. It says it in the last verse. It says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Now, this is not speaking of our natural birth, although God did form you in your mother's womb, but rather this is speaking of new creation new birth, you are a new workmanship, something new that God has done in the world. It's a new thing that is happening, a new, I guess, workmanship is the best way to describe it. And so now in Christ Jesus, we are the work of his hands, a new people, a new kingdom for a purpose. 
But what is our purpose? What is this thing that God has created us to? Paul says good works. Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, we're not saved by our good works. We've already seen this. It's not a result of works that we are saved, but we are saved for good works. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. We're saved for a purpose. We're saved so that God can take us somewhere that he wants us to be. And so this faith that brings new life, it produces something in us. It produces something different. You are now God's workmanship and he is building you and shaping you and taking you to a place that he wants you to be. And he is going to do many different things through the power of the spirit in order to get you there. It's his work. So not only is our salvation given to us by God, but also the good works, he's already prepared them beforehand. He's already got them all set up for us to be walking in. And he intends to use you for his glory. And so Paul says, walk in them. Get about the business of actually going into these good deeds that God has for you to do. Live in obedience to the scriptures and to Jesus the way that God intends, because now you actually can. Before you were dead, you were unable. You were unwilling. And now in Christ, you are able and willing to walk in the obedience that God calls us to. And a lot of us, we felt the pull of God by the Spirit in order to be pleasing to Him, to do things in obedience to Him. We have felt that little tug of the Spirit in our lives to go speak to that person or to go and call this person or to get into our Bibles more, to get into prayer more. And often we reject that. Often we go, ah, I've got a better plan, God. I don't really want to do that. That's uncomfortable talking to that person. Quite frankly, I don't really want to do that. Reading the Bible, eh, look, I've got better things to do. There's Netflix, there's other things. But God wants us to be walking in the obedience and the good works that he has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. And it really shows where our heart is, is are we living in the spirit or are we living in the flesh? Because by the Spirit, we need to be putting to death the deeds of the flesh. But if we're still in the flesh and we're doing whatever we want to do, at some point you need to ask the question, are we even, has this, are we even God's workmanship? (laughs) Have we actually been remade or are we dead people pretending to be alive? At some point, we've got to ask the question. And so some, some, some of us have had these moments and we find ourselves in the right place at the right time and we can see in those moments, that's exactly where God wants us to be. I remember having many conversations with people where I was just in this right place at the right time and I was just able to have this good gospel conversation with them. And I don't know what happened with the conversation, but I got the feeling that God was in it. I got the feeling that that is where God wanted to, wanted me to be. But notice this, even when you don't feel it, even when you can't see for certain that there's this divine appointment that you have, God still has you where he wants you. And even in the mundane tasks, even in the times where you have shared the gospel with someone and it hasn't really worked out and you wondered whether God was in it, he is in it. And that was a good work that he had prepared beforehand for you to do. It's not about the results about what's happening to you and it's about the good works that God has for you. And so God uses all this, all these experiences to push us, to stretch us, to shape us, 
to pull us to the people that God wants us to be. And he has a purpose, but listen, he's going to have his way with you. (laughs) You're going to end up walking in these good works, whether or not you want to, if indeed you are his workmanship. He will bring you to your knees in obedience and love for him. But we're still agents. We still have a choice. We still make decisions. We still go here and there. We still fall off the path. Those things are still real. But God, for some people, goes a really long, hard route of suffering in order to teach them the deep lessons. For other people, it may seem a lot easier. They seem to lo- uh, to learn these lessons and walk in obedience early. That's a lot of what we have the choice in. We could We could be disobedient to God. If we are his children, he will discipline us and move us back onto the right path. But if we walk the right path, the discipline is not necessarily necessary. That was a bit of a mouthful, that one. But you get what I mean. You get what I mean. Now, we're all at some point fleshly. None of us walk the path of obedience right. And even in walking in obedience, we'll still face suffering. Because Jesus walked perfectly in the will of the Father, perfectly in obedience. He was perfectly doing these good works that were prepared beforehand for him to do. And yet he still suffered. He still found difficulty in life. He still found all of these things that we would try to avoid at all costs. But we're not, I'm not saying that when you're walking in God's good works that things are going to go well for you. But I am saying that when you walk in his good works, you'll feel the pleasure of the Father. You will feel uh, this great sense that you're walking in his will. And that is a reward in and of itself. That is way better than living a life of comfort and ease. And so remember his word. We're saved by grace through faith. But it doesn't stop there. God is still working in us. He still has a plan and purpose for you and your life to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. Next time you feel the tug of the spirit, why not live in obedience? Why not go, okay, God, I want to step out of my comfort zone and I'm going to live in obedience to you. If he's been pressing on your heart ways that you could serve the church, why not go, you know what? I'm going to go do that now. I'm not going to wait for someone to pat me on the shoulder and ask me to do these things. I'm going to go in and serve. I'm going to go into those good works, which I feel God has prepared me for. And if you feel like, man, I don't know what those good works are. I don't know what God has planned for me because I feel like I'm in limbo. I'm just floating around. I don't know exactly what purpose my uh, God has for my life. Well, spend some time in prayer and say, God, show me and be willing to do what he shows you. Because he may show you what you need to do and you may go, oh, you may be like, I don't really want that. I don't really want that for my life. But you have to, by faith, ask that question and be willing to walk in that, whatever the answer is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and grace to us. That though we were dead, you made us alive. Though we were unable to respond to any stimulus, Lord, you gave us the faith necessary for salvation. You gave us everything we needed and you even prepared the works beforehand. Lord, this is amazing, this message. Help us, we pray. Lead us by your spirit. Show us where you want us to be going. Show us what you want us to be doing, Lord. For those of us that have felt the tug of the spirit but are full of anxiety and worry about stepping out in obedience, Lord, I pray for courage for those people Lord, bring them boldness, the kind of boldness that came upon the disciples when they're in the upper room waiting for the promised Holy Spirit, where a man like Peter 
denies Jesus three times and yet steps out in front of the crowd and is able to boldly proclaim the message of the gospel. Lord, I pray for that same boldness for those that are struggling. Lord, please, by your spirit, help our church to be walking in those good works that you have prepared for us as a body. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you. It's in his mighty and precious name we pray. Amen.